This morning's scripture reading comes from 2 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. So hear now the word of the Lord. Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. And David grew steadily stronger, but the house of Saul grew weaker continually. Sons were born to David at Hebron. His first son was Amnon by Ahinema the Jezreelitess. His second, Kaleb by Abigail, the widow of Nabal the Carmelite. His third, Absalom, the son of Maccah, the daughter of Talma, the king of Geshur. And the fourth, Adoniah, the son of Haggith. And the fifth, Sephaniah, the son of Abital. And the sixth, Ethrium by David's wife, Eglah. These were born to David at Hebron. It came about, while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, that Abner was making himself strong in the house of Saul. Now Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, and Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why have you gone into my father's concubine? Then Abner was very angry over the words of Ishbosheth and said, Am I a dog's head that belongs to Judah? Today I show kindness to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers and to his friends, and have not delivered you into the hands of David, and yet today you charge me with a guilt concerning the woman. May God do so to Abner, and more also, if as the Lord has sworn to David, I do not accomplish this for him, to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and to establish the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan to Beersheba. And he could no longer answer Abner a word because he was afraid of him. This is the word of the Lord. You could keep your Bibles open to that passage. We'll be looking at it kind of verse by verse. <clears throat> As we preach, we preaching narrative of the Old Testament. And often the greatest application of the narrative of Scripture is not a lot of finding things that we should be like and not like, but it's to open the chapters of the unfolding story of redemption and see that God carries it on to the next chapter and more and more toward the coming king, Jesus, and in that we glory, and I think that's uh, the greatest application of the scriptures today, but those, there's a lot of applications along the way, but let's not miss that one. Let's not miss the application of applications that God's carrying along his story of the unfolding of his redemption plan in Jesus uh, right through David's throne and kingdom. So uh, 2 Samuel opened, I'm going to kind of give us a, I, I won't be able to do this very much longer, but we're only in chapter 3, so we'll be able to kind of summarize all the way back to the first chapter Soon we're not going to be able to do that, so uh, I'm going to take the opportunity today to do that. Second Samuel uh, opened with the news of, of Saul's death reaching David through, uh, through a Malachite young man. David responded with weeping and with lamenting. It might have surprised us because he finally was free of Saul and didn't have to be pursued by Saul any longer, and, and yet his weeping and lamenting showed that, that David was for not his own kingdom, but for God's kingdom. That's a big thing that we saw in that. God had chosen David to be king, and Samuel had anointed him king, the, the savior or messiah of his people way back in, in 1 Samuel. And David was the promised one. And yet, uh, David, at Saul's death, doesn't jump the gun uh, to, to take the throne, but he seeks and he waits for the Lord, and the word of the Lord. When the fullness of time came, though, <clears throat> God told David, go up, go up to Hebron. And so he goes up, taking his wives and, and every. All, all his troops, burning all the Philistine bridges behind him. And he goes up, and the elders of Hebron, they anoint David as king of Judah. 
Uh, it is his home tribe, his family tribe. He's finally on the throne. He's on the throne over only one tribe, and yet um, he's on the throne. The unfolding story of redemption is moving ahead and moving forward, and we rejoice and celebrated that. It didn't take long, however, for there to be a rival king to be established, a tell of two kingdoms uh, yet again, and that was uh, Saul's cousin and commander in the armies, Abner, which we've already mentioned was going to be a part of this. He took the role of being kingmaker, and so what he did, uh, opposing David's kingship, he saw that Ishbosheth, one of Saul's sons, had survived, and so he declared that Ishbosheth is the king of Israel. He did that because he was the one that was really the power behind Ishbosheth. Abner's ambition to bring about um, Ishbosheth as the king of Israel um, would continue, and in that it would be Abner, not the king, that would really hold the power of the kingdom. The last time we saw Abner and his troops uh, advance down toward Hebron, and um, David's commander-in-chief, uh, Joab, heard and got the word, and so he started up from Hebron to, to meet Abner and, and his troops, and they had a pool party. Not really a party, but they actually had a meeting by a pool of Gibeon. Um, and at that place where there should be peace between brothers, there had been great bloodshed. The confrontation of one of David's nephews, Ashahel, he was killed in, in the confrontation. Uh, Ashahel was killed by Abner. And for different reasons, the two sides said, okay, we're going to call a truce. Uh, the, the reason that Joab wanted to call a truce was that he, he and his brother had pursued Abner, and they were about to kill him, but a bunch of Benjaminite uh, people uh, that were Abner's family, they, they joined him on the mountain. And once they had the, the numbers there, then the two brothers who were uh, running after him because he had, Abner had killed one of their, their third brother, Ashahel, um, they said, okay, well, we can't take that many people. We're going to back away. And they went home. Well, earlier in the, in the day at the conflict, what happened is uh, the Joab, they lost one person to every 18 people that had been killed on the other side, uh, Abner's side. And so Abner was like, whoa, I don't want to continue the conflict either. And so they call a truce, but the, the truce was pretty temporary. So we're, now that's, that's not too long, right? It wasn't too long. Now we're, in, now we're in 2 Samuel chapter 3, and the question's still out there, who's going to be the king? It's still unanswered. And the story advances, uh, first of all, with a, a summary of what's happened uh, since, the, since the days of the conflict and, and the day, we're going to see the summary of the house of Abner, or the house of Saul, rather, and the house of David and, and what's going on. Uh, and then the story is going to take us back to Abner's uh, town um, and where Ishbosheth is. And there's going to be a power struggle there between Abner and Ishbosheth. And that's the two big things we're going to see today. Uh, and we're going to see as Ishbosheth and Saul's side is weakening, David's side is growing stronger and stronger. And Abner sees the writing on the wall, um, and even though he, he's had this false covenant loyalty to Saul and to Ishbosheth, well, that loyalty doesn't last very long. Once he sees the, the writing on the wall, he's out of there, and he's going to take the side of David, who was, uh, whose side was strengthen, strengthening at, the, at that moment. But he didn't just want to go on David's side. He wanted to negotiate. This is next week. And he negotiates with David for a prominent place in his kingdom. Like, I'm not just going to jump ship. I'm going to jump ship. I'm going to make sure I have a good high place over here. He was always living about himself at every point, uh, promoting his own causes and not the causes of, of the king. In the fullness of time, Jesus would come, David's greater son, and he would come up and he would ascend the throne and he would save his people from every enemy, including sin and, and death, and, and he would unite his people 
under the one king uh, and under his rule and hold them fast forever. So that's kind of where we're going uh, today and then ultimately long term. And um, I was thinking about the illustration. Henry's used it recently. It gets used a pretty good bit of time of the, of the child that's sitting in the front of a church and they're standing up in the, in the pew. We don't have pews, but uh, they're standing up in the pew and um, his mom is like, sit down. And it's like, sit down. And he's making a racket and making noise and sit down. He's walking up and down the stairs and sit down. And uh, then he's like, well, I might be standing or sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. And we use that illustration usually to show what real obedience is. Real obedience is from the heart. But I think that illustration also shows it reveals a sin nature in our hearts, right? We want to be in control. And you don't have to teach a kid that, right? Have you had to teach your kids to, like, rebel and want their own way? No, it happens automatically in our fallen world. So the, it's an attempt to build one's own kingdom, and it starts in an early age. We want to throw off the control of others, and we want to take and ascend the throne ourselves. We love to be masters of our own destiny. And gamers, um, people who develop games, know that. And so what they do, they develop games that you can build your own kingdoms and create your own endings and pick your own characters and weapons. And, you know, those things are, are popular. We like to be in control We build our own kingdoms here. We throw off working with others when it doesn't fit in our self-promotion or our self-building plan. And, and then the ones we do work with, we tend to manipulate them in a way that forces them or at least reinforces our own causes. I think that uh, I know I do that too often. When others get too close and seem to start knowing us and knowing our, what's going on. It's like we feel pretty vulnerable, and what we do is we feel like we're losing control as people get close to us, and we pull back, and what we do, and when we pull back in those relationships, we cut off the possibility of that soul-knit type of relationship that Jonathan had with David. And uh, we, we really, in our church, need to push through that, and like, as people get, we're not that good. I mean, we're pretty, we're pretty bad, and people are going to know us. They're going to know that stuff, and that's okay. I mean, we look to the Savior for our our grace. We want, to, we want to be known in love, but our sinful nature fights against even that, and we settle for a form of intimacy that's not, that falls way short of the depth that God calls us to. Uh, we love things that play along with our own kingdom building. We love control. We love to affect things and change things. We like to be kingmakers, especially if the king is us. Um, and that's really what's going on with Abner. He was very powerful, and he exploited his power um, in, in all the different kingdoms day after day for his own gain. And in the start of uh, chapter 3 today, we're, we're faced with several questions. I've already mentioned one is, who's going to be the king of Israel? Uh, who's going to be the king? The second question is, uh, which side are you on? As Abner's flopping back and forth the sides, and whose kingdom are you living to build? Those are all questions and applications uh, of the greater application, the coming of Christ that's, uh, that it's showing. It's pretty important on what side you're on, right? If you wear orange or if you wear garnet, right? Um, it depends on, yeah, it, it makes a difference. If you've been watching any of the March Madness, uh, if you're on the North Carolina team, or who did they play, Baylor? That was a pretty big game. It, it depends on what side you're on. Um, if you're on the lawbreaker side or the, the rule follower side, that makes a difference. If you're living for self or for the kingdom of God, that'll make a difference ultimately in, in your eternity. So as we consider these questions, who's going to be king over Israel, and what side am I on, whose kingdom am I, am I living for, let me pray. And we'll look at the text. Father, thank you for the text that is before us. It's a text that you have ordained that we see and know, that you've ordered and, and led your people to write, that for our benefit, for our good, for our hope, for our encouragement, for our rebuke. 
and for our training, and ultimately for our seeing Jesus, um, whom we hope to see today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, Abner, the kingmaker. This is part one. We'll have part two next week. As a shadow of the kingdom that would come, uh, and that being in David's greater son, Jesus, David's kingdom is now compared to the kingdom of, of Jesus, compared and contrasted, mostly compared, but also sometimes contrasted to uh, the kingdom that is going to be established under Christ. And so we, we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, that John Calvin said that in our study of the establishment of the kingdom of David, we are meant to contemplate the kingdom of his greater son. So through the establishment of the kingdom of David, we are meant to look at that and contemplate the kingdom of his greater son. So in the early chapters of 2 Samuel, David's kingdom has started, it's begun, uh, but, and yet it's not very widely known. It's not very widely acknowledged, it's not very widely recognized, and that's very similar to the kingdom of Christ. When Jesus has come, he's lived the perfect life, he's died a death that he didn't deserve, he's defeated all the enemies of his people, uh, including the greatest one of those, that is death itself, and he's, in his resurrected life, he's freed us, uh, as, as Tim already said, by the power of his blood, and yet his kingdom is not universally recognized, it's not universally acknowledged, even to today. And, and enemies still try to compete for the hearts of his people and the affections and the, and the allegiance of even the covenant people. Uh, that's there, and we have to fight and battle that temptation ourselves. David's kingdom has started. It's rather small, um, and we've celebrated its beginning in Hebron, but it's going to expand, and this is the story of some of that expansion or the start of that expansion. So the promises of Christ have broken forth in Hebron, uh, David and his kingdom, and Christ's kingdom will expand until every enemy is put under his feet. I want to read a passage. Um, David's kingdom will become the kingdom of God and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. 1 Corinthians 15, 25. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. Um, and to tie that in with the Isaiah passage in verse 26, Tim said that it says that all nations will be put down and away, and all those enemies will be destroyed, every one of them. They won't be able to raise their head against God and his anointed ever again. Through Jesus, the Davidic kingdom uh, will know no end. Um, Christ is the son of David, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So now back to where we, we are, and, and I'm going to take this off. It's getting warm in here. Hopefully. All right, let's get there. Huh. Okay, the question's out. Whose side are you on? Are you on? And who will be Israel's current king? For, for Judah... They, uh, they had decided their king would be David. His rule had begun over them, but in the north there was no democracy, and Abner was there, and he gave the, the, the north no choice. He had uh, declared and decided for them that Saul's surviving son, Ishbosheth, he's going to be king of all of, of Israel. And I don't know, we don't really know how the people felt about Abner's decision. We really don't know how the people felt about Ishbosheth's reign, but we do know that Abner was the one that was the power behind that reign. He put him into to office, we could say. Ishbosheth, you might think, well, he was Saul's son. Seems like he has a right to the throne. You know, after all, the throne was set up as a monarchy, meaning that the power went from father to when he died to the son to when he died to, to his son. And so we would think, okay, that passes down through the families. It seems that Ishbosheth has, has some right to the throne. But most people of the day understood that David, um, against the choice of the people, that David was the promised Messiah and, and the king of God's own choosing. Um, and, and that David would be king. So last week we saw that Abner, we mentioned this, advanced toward Hebron. 
But his attempt to take over and even the attempt to negotiate had ended in only further, or further divide and device. Uh, in a day that the brothers should have been together under one king, their true king, David, at that point, um, they had instead struck each other down, it says, and there was much bloodshed. So after a day of, we could say, uncivil war, both sides returned home, uh, being forced to temporary truce, uh, and both still claiming the throne. Abner and his troops returned across the Jordan, up to the north, over to the west, uh, to Mahanam, and Joab returned with his troops back south to where? Hebron. I'm going to start asking you questions, that way you can stay awake. Um, it's good to get a wider picture of things, and I wanted to do that. Uh, Ralph Davis, and his commentary, has a, a section of chapter 2, an outline of chapter 2 verses, uh, to, to chapter 5, verse 5. So I want you to take a look at that. If you're a note-taker, I would write this down. It's helpful as you read uh, chapters 1, really 1 through 5. Uh, chapter 2 starts off with David being installed king in Hebron. And then... Uh, 2, 8 through 11, as Isbosheth is installed king in Mahanam. After that, then you have a lot of section about Abner. And we're right in the middle of this section about Abner. In three different weeks, we're going to spend time on Abner. Last week, we talked about Abner. This week, we'll talk about Abner. Uh, we'll talk about Abner one more time, and then Abner will be gone. We'll see that soon. Um, and then in uh, chapter 4, as Isbosheth has removed his king, and Mahanam, and then five, one through five, David's king, kingship is extended. So David's installed, Ishbosheth is installed, then there's conflict, uh, Ishbosheth is uninstalled or removed, and David, is, his kingdom is expanded, and that's the, the section we, we have. So we're going to see through the pains and the, the problems and a lot of opposition. From, we're going to see from opposition without, meaning David's kingdom is being opposed from without by Abner, um, and Ishbosheth, and from within, Joab is going to, we're going to see that he's actually opposing the kingdom of David. And through all that, God's promised king, and kingdom's going to continue to expand right on through the story, uh, through darker days and through better days. So now is the, let me give you an outline of 2 Samuel 3, and we're going to, I'm giving you three outlines today. One is a section chapter 2 to 5-5, five, five, then this is just chapter 3, the housing situation. And uh, chapter 3, verse 1, talks about the house of David and the house of Saul. We get a summary of what's going on there. And then we get a, the, the next one is a breakdown in Saul's house. Abner and Ishbosheth go at it. Um, then the next two points really are, are together, we could say. Uh, Abner switches sides. He flips, and he, um, he's the kingmaker. Uh, he, he sets up Ishbosheth as king, and then he thinks he's going to be the one who sets up David as king. And then we have the breakdown in David's house, and that's Abner versus Joab and then the housing situation in David's house. So we have uh, the breakdown in Saul's house, the breakdown in David's house, uh, Abner flipping uh, sides. So that's that part. Now, okay, today, finally, here we go, the outline of just today's section, and that's, um, the first one is this, the housing situation, a summary of what's going on in the house of Saul and what's going on in the house of David. And then we have the house of David grows stronger in Hebron, and the house of Saul grows weaker in Mahanam. And uh, that's what we'll look at today. So the housing situation, a summary. Let me read it. Um, and once I get to chapter, verses 2 through 4 that I made Henry read, I, I can't pronounce those names. I'll try. We'll see. Uh, 2 Samuel 1, 1. Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. And David grew steadily stronger, but the house of Saul grew weaker continually. The conflict we mentioned started at a pool, uh, and, and then at the pool they went to a mountain, and the conflict didn't even end at the mountain 
but there was a truce. Uh, both sides went home, but their going home wasn't the end of the war. It was actually the mark of the start of the war, and it says in this passage that they had a long war uh, between the two houses, Saul and David's house, from that point on. Saul's son, Ishbosheth represented the house of Saul, and uh, the house of Saul, would it become a dynasty, uh, or would it fall apart? And then, then there's David, and David um, represented, obviously, the Judah and the the side of the south, and would he start a dynasty, and would his kingdom rule and, and reign for years to come? Uh, we don't know a lot about what happened after that negotiation and pool party and the, the fleeing and the running. We don't know a lot, a lot what, hap- what, what happened between then and now, but now we have a summary of the things that happened. David's house uh, was, was growing stronger, and, and uh, Abner and Saul and Ishbosheth's house was growing weaker continually. So, um, there's a lot of conflicts, given the small start of, of David's kingdom, given all the conflicts, given, given the rise of an opposing kingship and a kingdom, we might be tempted to think that, well, David's side is not the one that's getting stronger, and that we might be thinking that Saul's side is getting stronger. Do you ever have a time in your life that, like, things around you, it just seems like, man, God's side and God's word and God's ways just don't seem to be winning the day. Do you ever have that? Do you ever, get, you ever turn on the TV and, like, man... Uh, but the truth is God is at work. And even though things uh, don't appear that uh, his side is strengthening, they are strengthening. And we can take pleasure that, that he is uh, and hope that he is at work. That's good news for us. God's at work and Christ's kingdom is expanding. It, it might not seem true sometimes, but it is true. Um, and, and the beauty, even in this passage, is God is sovereign over sin and sorrow, suffering. He, he's sovereign over uh, the actions of, of people that are wicked and he's not, and he's establishing and he's expanding his kingdom, not just in spite of those things, but he uses those very things to expand his kingdom, uh, a beauty of that. How do we know that David was growing stronger? David's house was growing stronger. There's two things in the text. The first thing he indicates in the first five verses, because his family was growing. He was having sons, sons that could be over his dynasty. And the second thing is David's house was growing stronger uh, uh, comparatively against Saul's house because Saul's house was growing weaker. And that's verses 6 through 11. Uh, So now we're at David's house growing stronger, uh, verses 2 through 4. So there's a lot of sons he had there, and I'm not going to name the the names again because I I do a poor, poor job. I actually worked at it a little bit, and I'm like, I'll just let Henry do it. It's all good. But during David's first seven and a half years of reign in Hebron, he had six boys, six sons, and he had them from six different women. Um, and in, in, in this respect, the sons were there to advance the kingdom. When you had a boy, your kingdom and kingship can continue, and he had six of them, very fruitful. Now, um, there's nothing in the text that condemns David for having multiple wives. We need to just mention this. Uh, there's a text in Deuteronomy that says that the kings of Israel should not acquire for themselves many wives, but there's no specific law uh, in the Old Testament that condemns the taking of multiple wives. Uh, And yet, it seems like every time that happens, it's riddled with problems, right? Over and over and over uh, again. We do know, and I'm going to say it again uh, in a minute, that uh, God's plan is for a monogamous marriage now. We know that for sure. And that was the, the majority of the marriages even back then. But I don't want us to get too caught up now on what is not the point of the text. So I just wanted to mention that, and then we'll, we'll move on. I will say that some of the names that are in here, some of the sons that are in that list, will come up again, and they will give David problems uh, in, in future years, and they'll pop up in 2 Samuel again. 
So the house of David increases and is strengthening. The second reason is because the house of Saul grows weaker and weaker in Manham. And the, the breakdown in, in the house of Saul uh, is a big factor that leads to, to David being able to unify the kingdom of God. This side, over here in the south, and this side in the north, David was able to, to, to unify them. You guys are the southern people, right? Yeah, so use your southern draw when you talk, or when you say amen, you do it southern. I don't know what that sounds like. Uh, but, but David was able to, able to unite his people largely because in uh, Saul's house, it was falling apart. And so Abner begins questioning, like, man, why did I make Isposheth the king? He's not doing a very good job. Uh, he's tanking. He's, he's becoming weaker and weaker all along. In verse 6, it says this, uh, It came about while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David that Abner was making himself strong in the house of Saul. Interesting. So David's kingdom is building. It's growing stronger and stronger in the south. And in the north, it's growing weaker and weaker, except for one man, Abner. And what's he doing? He's all about building his own kingdom, even though the kingdom of, of his king and all around him was falling apart. Abner was a super powerful man, uh, and he continues, as he did when he was Saul's uh, commander-in-chief, to promote his own causes. So in Saul's house, there's a struggle between Abner. He was maneuvering himself uh, to be in the position that he could usurp uh, Ishbosheth, his authority and his kingship. And the maneuvering had, uh, had to do with, with him taking uh, Ishbosheth's um, concubine, Riz, Rizpah. Let me read that. Uh, and, and, well, uh, he, takes, he takes the concubine, the Saul's concubine initially. It becomes Ishbosheth's concubine, or she does, Rizpah does. And what happens is um, Abner takes her, and then uh, Abner is confronted by Ishbosheth. Ishbosheth doesn't confront Abner very often, but here he did. And he says this in verse 7, why, why have you gone into my father's concubine? So, um, and we mentioned the most common form of marriage today and the, the, uh, God's command of marriage today is between one woman and one man. That's clearly God's purpose. And, and yet here, uh, we're not given that it's a, a problem uh, as far as a sin. But Abner takes his, the concubine of Saul. He has sexual relationships with her. And back in that day, that was a huge move. This was saying... That, that Abner was taking the place of Saul. So was, he was usurping the direct authority of Ishbosheth. He's like, not only do I have the woman, I have his throne. And that's what he was saying. It was a, a big statement. And, and finally, Ishbosheth could take it no longer. He was being controlled in a puppet. And he said, why'd you do this? So he addresses and, and confronts Abner for doing that. Um, so uh, I, I think Abner was probably thinking that if the kingship and the kingdom was going to stay in the house of Saul, that it wasn't going to be through Ishbosheth. He was weak and not doing very well. He wasn't able to fill his father's uh, shoes, much less his throne. And so Abner said, if it's going to stay here, it's going to stay here because of my power. I think that's what was happening at that point. And then we hear the response and uh, the confrontation of Ishbosheth. He says this, why have you gone into my father's concubine? And then we have a response back from Abner. And here's what he says in verse 8. Then Abner was very angry over the words of Ishbosheth that Ishbosheth had said. Am I a dog's head that belongs to Judah, the other side? Today I show kindness to the house of, of Saul, your father, to his brothers and to his friends, and have not delivered you into the hands of David. And yet today you charge me with a guilt concerning the woman. And so uh, Abner's like, who are you? Who are you to talk like this to me? Uh, Abner was pushing his power, and he wouldn't stand for somebody that's weaker than him, even the king who is weaker than him, to rebuke him. 
Um, and although breaking loyalty was Saul and Saul's house, he took offense at, at Ishbosheth. And who do you think you're talking to? Am I just a dog's head? Um, and, and what he's telling him is like, Ishbosheth, you would be nothing without me. That's what he's telling him. And, and he also says, I could have delivered you over into the hands of David at any point, and I still can. So he was holding all the, all the power. Um, I picture David, like, I mean, Abner really speaking down to Ishbosheth. And I put in my little notes as I was scribbling down before I pulled it all together. It's like, hey, Ishbo man, who do you think you are? <laughs> and it's like, who do you think you are talking to me? I know I can put you down at any point. And I think that's what he was saying. And he called him out. So uh, Abner uses a pretty interesting thing here. It's like, I have showed your family covenant loyalty. I've showed your family kindness. And I've showed you mercy. And so uh, Abner is saying, I've done all these things for you. Uh, and who, who are you? So he's using these strong words and uh, a, a word that's usually used where the stronger shows the weaker some of these things. The word is hesed. Some of you, if you're in uh, some of the students, we've heard that word today. But Abner is saying, man, I've, I've had this. I've done this to you uh, and to your dad and to his kingdom. Um, and yet, I think we could say that Abner had this form of covenant loyalty. He had this form of mercy, uh, but it was an outward form, and it was for his own purposes that he did that. It was only skin deep. And uh, although Abner's connections and love and care might have looked good on the outside, Abner, his name becomes synonymous with one who hinders people from following the kingdom of God. So Abner is one who hinders people from following God's kingdom and following Yahweh instead of advancing. Um, so Abner's covenant love and faithfulness only went as far as uh, until it conflicted with his self-building plan. Like, I'll love you, and I'll, I'll give you covenant loyalty and all that until it comes up against my self-building plan. And at that point, I'm, you're out of here. And that's what he was doing and what he was saying. Uh, once his faithfulness, even on the outside, came into conflict, um, Abner would show his true colors. Uh, a, a big contrast between the loyalty and self-sacrificing love that David showed his people constantly. And ultimately, uh, that... David's greater son would show his people the bounding covenant love and faithfulness uh, that Jesus shows to his people. Abner, Abner does a pretty good job of faking love and loyalty and, and commitment and self-sacrificing love, and, and, and yet he does it only for his benefit. And we're going to see that God will use even Abner's selfishness and his sin uh, to bring about his divine purposes and to unite uh, the, the people under one king. He's going to use even Abner's uh, faking it uh, and and to, to bring about the kingship uh, under David, ultimately, to unify under David. So, uh, after all I've done, you charge me with this. Now, interestingly, Abner did not deny the sin. He doesn't deny it. He's like, he just says, why are you confronting me? That's really all he says. And in doing so, he really trivializes the whole action, the sin itself. So, Abner, uh, his, his, his steam grows, and it overflows, and he makes this oath out of anger uh, that really is a major threat. Let me read it, verses 9 and 10. May God do so to Abner and more also, if as the Lord has sworn to David, I do not accomplish this for him, to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and to establish the throne of David over Israel and over Judah, from Dan even to Beersheba. So all the allegiance that, that Abner had to Saul and to his house, it was gone at that point. Uh, there would be no more steadfast love, there will be no more covenant loyalty, there will be no more mercy uh, for Ishbosheth and Saul's house. He was going to turn over and turn them over uh, to Saul and Saul's house. So Abner's cry was against Saul's house, 
It was a terrifying cry. No more mercy. Now, this is coming from a guy that really ran the, ran the whole thing. He was the, the power behind it all. Um, I made you king. I'm going to remove you king from king, being king, and I'm going to establish David, David's kingship. So here's Abner. What's kind of interesting, who was God's kingmaker back in 1 Samuel? Who was the one that God used to establish kings in 1 Samuel? Samuel. Okay. Uh, but now, all of a sudden, Abner's taking that position. I can make you king. I declared you king. I can take you down, and I can make David king. Um, so interesting thing. So Abner now would use his power to benefit David and to take down the house of Saul. Now, I think it's really interesting in this that, that as Abner is telling this oath and this threat, he understands that the Lord has sworn and promised David that he would be the king. That's kind of neat. Now, you think, well, if he believed that, I wonder why he went against it all along. Well, I think he went against it just to fulfill his own purposes. Maybe it won't be so. Um, so I think that was kind of interesting. How, where would Abner have heard that truth? Well, if we remember way back to 1 Samuel, Abner was right there when David killed Goliath. He was the one that actually introduced David to King Saul. And so he's right there hearing what's going on, seeing what's going on, all, those, all that stuff. But now Abner had no choice. Uh, the, other, the other side was advancing. The other side was growing. He had no choice to, but to go on that side. And so uh, what was interesting is Abner still said, I must, I'm the man. I still can make, the, make David king. And so he says, I'm going to make David king. Um, now, you might be tempted to think that Abner's switch was honorable. I mean, he switched from the wrong side to the right side, right? And so since he switched from the wrong side, enemies to the right side, God's side, we think it's honorable, but don't think it honorable. <laughs> it's not an honorable thing. He did it because one side was winning. He didn't do it because he wanted to be on the, on the right side. He did, it, he did it because he wanted to be on the side that wasn't dying. That's why he did it. And even then, he negotiates, and we're going to see this next week, for a high place uh, on the right side. He's all about himself all along the way. Um, struck through with selfishness of uh, the highest sort. And he didn't care what happened to anyone else, ultimately. Um, so here's some ending points. There's, um, I'm just going to go through, here's applications, ending points. Uh, there's two competing kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. It's seen in the kingdom of David and the kingdom of Saul here. Um, and the, 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 the truth is that those, those two competing kingdoms uh, are competing for your allegiance, and they're competing for my allegiance, they're even competing for the allegiance of covenant family people, and we have to battle that day in and day out. And we mentioned this two, two weeks ago, that there's going to be Abners, uh, there's going to be those that are a hindrance to your following after the right kingdom, and there's going to be Abners and Isposheths that are going to pull you in to the kingdom that's selfish, living for yourself, uh, to undo us, to discourage us, to threaten us, to hinder us, and all that. Um, so know that you're going to have, have those. And then we have uh, last week, the battle. There was two sides where the brothers came together at the pool. And um, while they should have come together under one king, the King David, that God had chosen, and instead what they do is they show their disunity and they raise their own banners. And, uh, and instead of the banner of the Lord, they raise the banner of, um, of themselves. And we're not too different than they are. We raise the banner of ourselves pretty often in our relationships too, we should be united under our king, and we should be united under his causes, but we promote disunity as we take up our causes instead of the cause of Christ 
And we pray here very often for unity of the church. And the only way we can have true unity of the church is to get rid of our causes, uh, to, to battle them and put the selfishness down and battle it back and to take up the causes of Christ and to take them on together. Uh, we saw that in Philippians chapter 2. Well, a lot of things today had to do with uh, um, Abner, right? Lots of Abner stuff. A couple of things about Abner. Uh, Abner becomes the definition of self-promotion and self-centered living at all costs. His very name is synonymous with that. And uh, he seems to be the son of Saul. Saul was all about himself. Um, Jonathan, thankfully, wasn't like his dad in that sense, but Abner was. He was pursuing uh, the throne of Saul. Uh, now, a lot of times we dream ourselves to be this person or this character in the story. We want to be this character in the story. But I, I think that you and I are mostly the character of Abner in the story, more than we ever want to imagine. That our self-focus um, and, is, and our self-centered living um, at the cost of all else it happens too often, all the time. I mean, I, it does not me. We're too much like Abner. And Abner was a hindrance to God's kingdom and people following God's kingdom. Uh, are you a hindrance and yourself serving to God's kingdom and other people um, living it out? Uh, are you a life giver or are you a life taker? Am I a life giver or am I a life taker? Abner knew the truth of God's promises. He says it right in the text. David would one day be king over God's house, over all of God's house. But he fought against it again and again and again. Why? Why did he fight against the truth? Because he wanted power. He was all about himself. We fight against the truth for the same reason. We have all these truths and commands, and we fight against them because we want to be in control. We want the power. Um, we, we know much truth, and yet we run our ways uh, of our sin and lay aside the truths of God, pursuing our own pleasures instead of the pleasures and purposes of our Lord. Um, one last tie-in with Abner, at least for today. Abner proclaims that he has this covenant love, uh, committed loyalty and faithfulness to the king. He says that I even had mercy on the king. Um, and he says, I could even take you out. I could deliver you over to David's hands. But far from being honorable, we said that the covering of, of Abner's faults, love and committed love, behind that covering um, it, it was really death. And I want to ask you this. Is your Christianity simply a covering? Is, your, is it just a form? Is it just an outward thing? Uh, does the cover of your professed loyalty to Jesus and faithfulness to him, uh, does it really hide your true heart, your outward testimony of following him, hide the true heart of selfishness in it? Or does God's faithfulness to you change your heart to cause it to be for him? Uh, to big things? Is your heart being transformed by the covering of Christ, the, the faithfulness of his mercy and love to you? Or is your outward expression of mercy and love covering your true heart of selfishness? Two, two things to ask questions. Uh, Abner um, says to Ishbosheth, my loyalty and my love and my expressions of mercy shown to you is the key to your success. Um, the truth is that God's love and loyalty and faithfulness expressed to us and his mercy is the key to our success. And it's the key to our putting down selfish living and living for the king. Uh, let's see. We had last last thing. Uh, our confession should be that we're too much like Abner. We're too much like Abner in taking up our own causes, living for ourselves, building our own kingdoms. And we're too much like Abner when we do that, that we're a hindrance to the family and the body of Christ, growing in the likeness of him. Now, I don't, we shouldn't forget the couple of questions we came in chapter 3 with. 
The question was still out there, uh, who would be king? And the question's still out there today, who will be king? We're going to bring that on tomorrow, uh, next week, and you're going to see more and more uh, who that king's going to be. And lastly, uh, whose side are you on? Are you on? Whose kingdom are you living for? Um, questions for today. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the word that's before us. There's a lot of narrative and story here. In the story, we can find ourselves in many characters, and we want to take up the character that's faithful and consistent and loves Jesus and walks right, and yet the character that we're probably the most like, at least me, is Abner. Uh, Father, we, like Abner, take up things for our own kingdom. We want to build our own kingdom. We want to ascend the throne. Father, we'll do anything uh, to do that. We'll put others down, and even the others we work with, we will do so only to the extent that it builds our kingdom. Father, I pray today that those words of the command of Philippians 2 will be on our hearts, do all things, or do nothing, rather, from selfishness or empty conceit. And Father, I pray that you would help us to to, to see our sin and the, the wickedness of it and how it hinders other people that we're around when we live for ourselves and not for Jesus. And Father, we pray, too, for living hope, for unity of the body of Christ. We can only have that unity in as much as we understand our sin and repent of it and in as much as we seek the purposes of, of Christ together. And I pray that you would help us to do that for your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen.